Hey, welcome again to uh, this episode of, of Catch Your Breath. Uh, today is unlike the other episodes in, uh, in that this is Good Friday. This is a day to really contemplate, to meditate on the cross. And if there was ever a day to truly just catch your breath and realign, refocus on Jesus, um, this would be a really good day for that. And so we're going to take an extended time. So um, if you hadn't already prepared for this, this is a longer version. Uh, it'll take about a half hour of your day, but find a, a way to go on a walk with this, to spend some time alone, sit on your porch, whatever that is. And uh, I'm going to be doing some readings and then giving you some space actually to 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 pray along the way and to uh, sing, to just, yeah, look. Let's take a journey with Jesus to the cross. That's the way this will be built is a journey. We're going to begin with Jesus as he journeyed into the desert, as he journeyed through an entire life of testing, as he journeyed eventually to his ultimate rejection, and then the day that we celebrate for Good Friday, the cross itself. So so let's do this. I, I want to start with Jesus as he journeys into the desert and let's, let's learn from him, catch our breath as we focus on Good Friday and the cross. So remember that Jesus was born as a displaced baby to parents of very little means. Um, immediately, even in infancy, was sent into years as an immigrant in Egypt. Um, finally, years later, back in his homeland, but even then not allowed to go back to his, his family home. Uh, they had to start all over again as, as strangers in a brand new community. And then even after being announced as the Messiah at his baptism, so years later, um, Jesus was immediately driven into the, the desert. Um, Jesus was acquainted with displacement, loneliness, homelessness, in fact, that would mark his entire adult life. It was a life of exile. So he looks down with understanding eyes to us as, as we go through our own seasons of walking seemingly in, in a desert, feeling that displacement. So the scripture I want to bring for all of us to consider as we think about Jesus and the desert is, that actual moment where he is driven into the, the desert after his baptism. So I'm reading from Luke 4. It says, Now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wild. For 40 wilderness days and nights he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when the time was up, he was hungry. The devil, playing on his hunger, gave the first test. Since you're God's son, command this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, it takes more than bread to really live. For the second test, he led him up and spread out all the kingdoms of the earth on display at once. And then the devil said, they're yours in all their splendor to serve your pleasure. I'm in charge of them all. I can turn them over to whomever I wish. Worship me, and they're yours. The whole works. Jesus refused. Again, backing his refusal with Deuteronomy, 
Worship the Lord your God and only the Lord your God. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. For the third test, the devil took him to Jerusalem, put him up on top of the temple. He said, if you're God's son, jump. It's written, isn't it, that he has placed you in the care of angels to protect you. They'll catch you. You won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Yes, said Jesus. And it is also written, don't you dare tempt the Lord your God. That completed the testing. The devil retreated temporarily, lying in wait for another opportunity. But Jesus returned to Galilee, powerful in the spirit. So as you go into a time of prayer, considering Jesus and the desert, remember that the desert was both a time of testing But it was also a place of finding a renewed dependence, uh, a nearness with the Father, a, a power from the Holy Spirit. So take a moment to surrender to the Father's leading us into a time of desert. Acknowledge your fears. Lean into his, his nearness. Next, we journey into the life of testing. The Gospels paint a clear picture for us of Jesus' life. You know, taken together, the life of the Son of God was marked by loneliness, a sense of displacement. Again, he was without a, a home of his own, driven from the only neighbors he had ever enjoyed, often misunderstood even by his friends, constantly hounded and antagonized by his enemies. Why would Jesus live such a life? What is the purpose in all that suffering? Well, the answer is is simple. He did it for you. He was, day by day, absorbing the pain of humanity. He wasn't going to run from our pain. He wasn't going to stay like at a safe distance from it. He was running headlong into our pain and taking it on. Isaiah 53 describes it well. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on, passed over, a man who suffered who knew pain firsthand. So as you go into a time of prayer, meditating on 
Jesus. Hebrews 2 tells us that's that's why Jesus had to enter into every detail of our human life. Then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. So take some time in this time of prayer to thank Jesus for entering into every detail of human life, knowing that you were in his mind as he did so. Scoffing in my place, content he sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. Next, we follow Jesus into the time of his rejection. You know, after years of the Son of God living in obscurity, unacknowledged, forgotten, living among people as if he were the most common of men, Jesus finally entered into that public ministry. You know, during those few precious years, he was able to do extraordinary things. He healed. He was able to teach extraordinary, never thought of truths. He brought joy to all who would draw near him, even to raise the dead to life. No one had ever seen anything like it. But remember, his own personal life was marked by testing, isolation, displacement, being continually misunderstood. That storyline would find its apex with his ultimate rejection, conjured together by a supposedly close friend and the worst of his enemies. But none of this took Jesus by surprise. This this was why he had come. Our rejection of the Son of God did not suddenly come upon Jesus. He knew exactly what would transpire. And not only did he refuse to run the other way, he actually coaxed the villains to do what they needed to do. So as we consider the scriptures, when we think about the rejection of Jesus, I want to read from the Gospels. It says, The Feast of Unleavened Bread, also called Passover, drew near, and the high priests and the religion scholars were looking for a way to do away with Jesus. But fearful of the people, they were also looking for a way to cover their tracks. That's when Satan entered Judas, the one called Iscariot. He was one of the twelve. And leaving the others, he conferred with the high priests and the temple guards about how he might betray Jesus to them. They couldn't believe their good luck and agreed to pay him well. He gave them his word and started looking for a way to betray Jesus, but out of sight of the crowd, 
So then the disciples came to Jesus and they said, where would you like us to prepare your Passover meal? Jesus said, we'll enter the city, go to a certain man and say, the teacher says, my time is near. I and my disciples plan to celebrate the Passover meal at your house. The disciples followed Jesus' instructions to the letter and prepared the Passover meal. After sunset, he and the twelve were sitting around the table, and during the meal he said, I have something hard but important to say to you. One of you is going to hand me over to the conspirators. The disciples looked around at one another, wondering who on earth he was talking about. One of the disciples, the one Jesus loved dearly, was reclining against him, his head on his shoulder. Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus who he might be talking about. So being the closest, he said, Master, who? Jesus said, The one to whom I give this crust of bread after I've dipped it. Then he dipped the crust and gave it to Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot. As soon as the bread was in his hand, Satan entered him. What you must do, said Jesus, do. Do it. Get it over with. No one around the supper table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that since Judas was the treasurer, Jesus was telling him to buy what they needed for the feast, or maybe that he should give something to the poor. Judas, with a piece of bread, left. And it was night. So as you go into a time of prayer, thinking now about this awful moment of rejection, remember, even the unsuspecting disciples could not imagine that one of their own would be the ultimate betrayer of Jesus. Can you imagine the sense of rejection the Son of God had to absorb in that moment? Only Jesus knew that Judas would brazenly let Jesus serve him as the most honored of guests in one moment and then walk out the door to seal the plot to murder Jesus. The Apostle John ends that moment with that poignant phrase, and it was night. Take some time to meditate, to pray, considering the moment of rejection and betrayal. Allow yourself to feel the darkness of it. And thank Jesus that he never turned back. He walked into that valley of ultimate darkness because he was on a mission to rescue you. part of the journey of Jesus that we're going to consider today is the journey to the cross. The gospel writers use much of their precious ink to write out in detail what Jesus went through during the crucifixion. They wanted to make sure that we would contemplate 
the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We are not to turn away. We are to look and ponder and consider what Jesus Christ went through. This is a day to mourn, to be shocked all over again at what Jesus did in order to bring us eternal life. We pick up the story just after Jesus has prayed through the night to his father and recommitted himself to following the path to the cross. Jesus, having prayed, left with his disciples and crossed over the brook Kidron at a place where there was a garden. He and his disciples entered it. Judas, his betrayer, knew the place because Jesus and his disciples went there often. So Judas led the way to the garden, and the Roman soldiers and the police sent by the high priests and the Pharisees followed. They arrived there with lanterns and torches and swords. Jesus, knowing by now everything that was coming down on him, went out and met them. And he said, Who are you after? They answered, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said, that's me. The soldiers recoiled, totally taken aback. Judas, his betrayer, stood out like a sore thumb. Jesus asked again, who are you after? They answered, Jesus, the Nazarene. I told you, said Jesus, that's me. I'm the one. So if it's me you're after, let these others go. This validated the words in his prayer, I didn't lose one of those you gave. Just then Simon Peter, who was carrying a sword, pulled it from its sheath and struck the chief priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Malchus was the servant's name. Jesus ordered Peter, put back your sword. Do you think for a minute I'm not going to drink this cup the Father gave me? They led Jesus then from Caiaphas to the Roman governor's palace. It was early morning. They themselves didn't enter the palace because they didn't want to be disqualified from eating the Passover. So Pilate came up to them and spoke. What charge do you bring against this man? They said, If he hadn't been doing something evil, do you think we'd be here bothering you? Pilate said, You take him. Judge him by your law. The Jews said, we're not allowed to kill anyone. This would confirm Jesus' word indicating the way he would die. Pilate went back into the palace and called for Jesus. He said, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own or did others tell you this about me? Pilate said, Do I look like a Jew? Your people. It's your high priest that turned you over to me. What did you do? My kingdom, said Jesus, doesn't consist of what you see around you. If it did, my followers would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But I'm not that kind of king, not the world's kind of king. Then Pilate said, So are you a king or not? Jesus answered, You tell me, because I am king. I was born and entered the world so that I could witness to the truth. Everyone who cares for truth, who has any feeling for the truth, recognizes my voice. Pilate said, What is truth? So Pilate took Jesus and had him whipped. The soldiers, having braided a crown from thorns, set it on his head, threw a purple robe over him, and approached him with, Hail, King of the Jews! 
Then they greeted him with slaps in the face. Pilate went back out again and said to them, I present him to you, but I want you to know that I do not find him guilty of any crime. Just then Jesus came out wearing the thorn crown and purple robe. Pilate announced, Here he is, the man. When the high priests and police saw him, they shouted in a frenzy, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate told them, You take him! You crucify it! I find nothing wrong with him! The Jews answered, We have a law, and by that law he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he became even more scared. He went back into the palace and he said to Jesus, Where did you come from? Jesus gave no answer. Pilate said, You won't talk? Don't don't you know that I have the authority to pardon you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus said, You haven't a shred of authority over me except what has been given you from heaven. That's why the one who betrayed me to you has committed a far greater fault. At this, Pilate tried his best to pardon him, but the Jews shouted him down. If you pardon this man, you're no friend of Caesar's. Anyone setting himself up as king defies Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he led Jesus outside. He sat down at the judgment seat in the area designated Stone Court. It was the preparation day for Passover. The hour was noon, Pilate said to the Jews, Here is your king. They shouted back, Kill him! Kill him! Crucify him! Pilate said, I am to crucify your king? The high priest answered, We have no king except Caesar. Pilate caved into their demand. He turned him over to be crucified. They took Jesus away carrying his cross. Jesus went out to the place called Skull Hill where they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on each side, Jesus in the middle. Pilate wrote a sign and had it placed on the cross. It read, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was right next to the city. It was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. The Jewish high priests objected, don't write, they said to Pilate, the king of the Jews. Make it, this man said I'm king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. When they crucified him, the Roman soldiers took his clothes and divided them up four ways to each soldier, a fourth. But his robe was this seamless, it was a single piece of weaving. So they said to each other, well, let's not tear it up. Let's throw dice to see who gets it. This confirmed the scripture that said, they divided up my clothes among them and threw dice for my coat. The soldiers validated the scriptures. While the soldiers were looking after themselves, Jesus' mother, his aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene stood at the foot of the cross. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing near her. And he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that moment, the disciple accepted her as his own mother. Jesus, seeing that everything had been completed 
so that the scripture record might also be complete. He then said, I'm thirsty. A jug of sour wine was standing by. Someone put a sponge soaked with the wine on a javelin and lifted it to his mouth. After he took the wine, Jesus said, It's done. Complete. Bowing his head, he offered up his spirit. So right now I want you to take a deep breath, force your mind to contemplate the cross of Jesus Christ. Look to him in prayer as you do. As you go through this day and prepare to celebrate the resurrection on Easter morning, take some time to reflect on the humanity, the suffering, and ultimately the death of Jesus Christ. Communion, or the Lord's Table, is the worshipful way God's church is to stay connected to the sufferings, to the death of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that it is the way that Christ's followers proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Though intended as time of worship for the gathered church to unite together at the cross, you may want to consider taking communion even while in isolation. The resurrection of Jesus draws near. We will celebrate that victory that Jesus won for all of us on Sunday morning. But until then, contemplate the suffering and death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Grace and peace.